Welcome to the teaching ministry at Crothers Creek Community Church. So again, a good morning to all of you. Really glad that you're here. And again, uh, good morning to our online audience, wherever you might be today. Really glad that you're joining us on a GO train or at a cottage or at another church, wherever you might be. We're glad you're with us this morning. Well, as Joanna LaFleur uh, just prayed and let you know, uh, we're still in this spiritual gift series. We're systematically, as a family, walking through every single spiritual gift that's listed in Scripture. And again, the goal of this series is that we begin to build and have a common script So we're using the same language, the same theology, the same understanding, even the same experiential language so we can work better together and find unity as a local church. Now this is week seven and it's been a run so far. Many of us have a new understanding about our own spiritual gifts. Others of us have a deepening understanding how God has made each one of us to, and really we're all beginning to understand that spiritual gifts are given so God is glorified, so we find genuine purpose in our life and we get to serve each other in a really broken and dark world. Now today we're going to keep talking through some gifts specifically in the power gift area. Now if you're joining us for the first time, let me break this down so far so you can track where we've been. Spiritual gifts are not natural gifts you get at birth, nor are they acquired skills that you get through life experience or by education or what family you've come from. They are gifts given by God when you become a Christian, and they're about serving God and serving others, and all of them have a supernatural, powerful root. Now, over the last few weeks as I've been speaking, I've given a summary of all the gifts in three simple ways. Took it from another author, and it's this. The love gifts that God gives some of us, they demonstrate sort of to the world and to each other God's love in very practical ways. Word gifts clarify the very nature of God, the actions of God, the purposes of God. Now, power gifts demonstrate the power of God, the presence of God, and the very reality of God in our own lives, in the world, or in our community. Now, this week, we're going to talk continually through the power gifts. And as Joe just prayed, we're going to be talking about some interesting gifts today. We're going to talk about the gift of tongues, the gift of interpretation, and also another gift called intercession. Now, I said this last week, and I needed to do this again. This is for us gathering here and you watching or listening online. Some of you are really excited about today. It's D-Day for you. Tongues is finally going to be talked about at C4, and you've got your tongue banner out, and you're like, yes, I'm going to be legitimized. Others of you are absolutely upset. I don't want to be part of a church like that. Others of you are saying, well, be careful. Because like I said last week, I've come from other churches, and though I may believe in this stuff, it went so sideways, I actually got hurt by that. Guard my soul today, John. Be careful. Others of you who've never done church are going, what are you talking about? Is this a cult? Are you going to ask me to stick my tongue out and tattoo John 3.16 on it? No. It's all good. We need to understand that this is about spiritual gifts. And and here's what we need to do as a community. Now, I asked us to do this last week, and I cannot confirm this, but I have a sense that many of you did not do what I asked you to do. Notice the language, I asked you to do. I would like all of us at this moment, here and online, to lay down our ideas about these topics. I'd like us to lay down our ideas, our hopes, our aspirations, our histories, our theology, our expectations, our fear, our our embarrassment. 
I'd like us to lay down the very good experiences we've had in other churches and the very bad experiences we've had in other churches because history cannot dictate what God's trying to do today. We need daily bread in this church, not yesterday's bread. And so all of us need to get in a place where we say to Jesus, I'm open to what you want to do. I'm open to what scripture has to say. And I will not allow my expectations, good or bad, to stop what God wants to do. So take a moment and please do this and say to Jesus, I'm just open. And if anything comes to your mind, this is important, an experience comes to your mind or a person comes to your mind related to the gifts today, just stop and give that over to Jesus so you can hear clearly today. Take a moment, you online do the same thing and we'll get involved. Take a moment. Hear our prayers, Jesus. Deal with unbelief, deal with fear, deal with embarrassment, and deal with wrong expectations. And we ask this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Okay, so today is tongues, interpretation of tongues, and intercession. So what I'm going to do is what I've been doing week after week. Let me start with some definitions, and we'll start with the gift of tongues. One wrote this, the gift of tongues is speaking a message in an unknown tongue, or it's a spontaneous utterance from God in unknown words. Another person wrote this, speaking in tongues is speaking or worshiping or praying in a language unknown to the speaker. Now, I prefer that definition because it encompasses everything that scripture talks about when it comes to tongues. Now, another person wrote this definition with the accompanying gift called interpretation of tongues. They wrote, it is the ability to spontaneously respond to a giving of an authoritative message in tongues by interpreting that tongue and clearly communicating the message that's given. In other words, if someone breaks out in tongues beside you or in a small group in a large worship gathering, you suddenly, though you do not know the language they're speaking in, will understand what they're saying and you will be able to communicate it. Now, the first time we see the act of tongues in Scripture, in the New Testament, that is, is in Acts chapter 2. So here's what we're going to do. If you've got a Bible, uh, virtually, we've got Wi-Fi in here, you can connect. Or if you've got your your paper version, turn there. We're going to hang out in Acts 2 for most of the day and 1 Corinthians 14. Now, in Acts chapter 2, which is the beginning of our movement, it is when God formally establishes the church. This is what happens. Acts 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, now Pentecost is a huge religious Jewish festival and Jews from all around the Roman nations had come to Jerusalem to celebrate and worship God. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. That is the remnant of followers of Jesus. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, notice, as the Spirit of God enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Now, I got to stop and say, let me give you the modern translation. Aren't these a bunch of backwater, uneducated people who should not know how to do this? This is not a nice statement. Then they say, how is it that each one of us is hearing this in our own native language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in, their, in our own tongues. 
Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Love verse 13. Some, however, side note, made fun of them and said, they're drunk. Now, I just want to say this as we get involved today. Every time that God shows up in a powerful way, in a community, including the church, this is what will happen. Some will affirm it and be unbelievably changed for the rest of their life. Others will be bewildered and will sit on the fence and will have to watch. Others, even Christians, will mock it. Let me say to you as your pastor this morning, be careful. Because people at this moment mocked the very work of God and they lost out for eternity. God, when he shows up, will never, ever do it in the confines of what we think it should look like. This is when we all start realizing that he's God and we're not, and our cultural norms just don't really matter to him sometimes. Now, this is a deeply theological and anticipated passage. If you read the whole passage, 15 geographical areas are mentioned with languages from each of them. Now, God had promised this in the Old Testament in Joel 2. And God was now using these Christians as he's promised and gave them the ability to speak all at once in many languages. And here's the point. This act began the process of bringing the world back to God through Jesus and his people. But to truly understand Acts 2, you need to go all the way back to the beginning of the Old Testament. As one wrote, at the beginning... When the Tower of Babel took place, God was involved in deeply fracturing the human race, shattering its unity of one language and scattering the people over the face of the earth. And never forget, he writes, that was an act of grace because he didn't destroy them. But God's mission always has been and now is through the church, reversing the fragmentation that he started at Babel. He will now create a new unity out of human diversity. In Jesus, a new humanity will be created and the old dividing walls will be abolished. And interestingly, he starts this by the gift of tongues. So in this case of tongues, as you read Acts 2, here's what we find out. They're known languages. It was praise. It was thanksgiving. It was evangelistic. People heard about the works of God in their own language. And then if you read the passage, this is what takes place. Peter then stands up and speaks a common language that they all shared. He preached about who Jesus was, what he claimed. He preached about Jesus' death and his resurrection. And then 3,000 people became Christians. See, that was the pattern of Jesus himself. Signs and wonders and power gifts, then preaching, binding together, bringing many. Now, there are other accounts in the book of Acts of tongues. You can read about it in Acts 10, Acts 11, and then there's one verse near the end in Acts 19.6. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. Now, today, remember, we're trying to understand this gift through the teachings of Paul and the experiences of others. As one wrote, in the book of Acts, and this is key for us, the gift of tongues is given at different times. In Acts 2, the men who received the gift spoke in known languages. In Acts 10, either the gift was a language or Peter and his friends received the interpretation because they heard non-Jews for the first time glorifying God. In Acts 19, it's not clear whether the tongues were understood or not. But in each of the above incidents, the primary purpose, hear this everyone, concerning this gift was to authenticate new segments of people being added to the church. And God was endorsing them by releasing this gift. So this expression of tongues was God using this gift 
as a sign that he was starting to connect Jewish Christians with non-Jewish Christians together in a new family called the church. It was used to speak about Jesus, to worship God, express thanks. So let me break this down simply. Here it is. You've got a scenario where Jews were waiting for the Messiah. Suddenly Jesus comes. The Spirit of God comes after Jesus' death and resurrection. And they, many of them, still did not think that many of us as non-Jews would be included. But suddenly, they were experiencing the same Spirit and the same supernatural gift. And so it was used as an authentication. So people went, oh my goodness, that Roman over there and I as a Jew are now brothers and sisters. We're seeing the same gift and the same Spirit. We have a new conversation to have. That's a powerful thing. You you need to catch this this morning. If God had not used tongues, the church would would have fragmented right at its beginning and probably died. So this act, the Spirit of God in this gift, acted like glue. But that's not where the conversation with tongues ends. It goes farther than that. But before we go there, let me stop and address two things for you who've done church for a long time. There are two major teachings that are out there about tongues we need to address that come out of Acts that we just need to be honest about. Some people teach that all Christians can speak in tongues if they just ask. Other teaching out there says that all true Christians must speak in tongues because it's the first sign that Jesus is in you and he's moving to other people too, like we just talked about. Now, many good and honest Christians hold this, but it's not rooted in the whole counsel of God. Many of you sitting here or watching or listening have been broken by these ideas. You've doubted your salvation. You've felt like second-class citizens. Or here's the scary thing. Some of you have been in church circles where you've tried so hard to speak in tongues, you actually faked it in the end and you know it. Well, all that needs to end right now. As we've learned week after week, God gives the gifts sovereignly. And none of us are called to have all of the same gifts or share in one gift. Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 say the same thing time and time again. God's Spirit binds us together. God's character, the fruit of the Spirit, is demanded of all of us. And yet He sovereignly chooses which gifts we all get. Hear the Word of God again in 1 Corinthians 12.4. There are different kinds of gifts, He says, but the same Spirit distributes them. Verse 7, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And Paul lists all sorts of gifts. He says through the Spirit, there's the message of wisdom, the message of knowledge, another faith, another healing, a miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits. And then he says to another, not all, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another, the interpretation of tongues. God gives the gifts, and we all have different gifts. Don't feel the pressure to do something God has not ordained you to do. Do not put pressure on others to have gifts he has not given them. And here's the other thing. Do not resist the Lord if he's trying to give you the gift. Guess what? You're going to lose. So here's what we need to understand. When you have Luke writing over here in Acts, and we're about to look at Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, and they talk about this gift... What's amazing is, and I'm no Greek scholar, but let me summarize this. Even in their language, they use different words to describe tongues. In Acts 2, it actually means a known dialect. But Luke uses different words later through the book of Acts just to say something spoken out of the mouth. 
Later, we saw it here in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says different kinds of tongues, which comes from the word species or animals or, or origin. And yet later he uses a different phrase. It's sort of like a, a normative phrase where it just means anything that comes out of your mouth. See, what we need to understand as we get into this today is even the language that Luke and Paul use in Greek shows us there's a diversity in how this stuff works and what it looks like. So we see in the book of Acts God using this profoundly. We see in 1 Corinthians 12 that God sovereignly distributes it, and it's for some. But then we get to the main passage. 1 Corinthians 14, and if you've got it, turn there now. It's where we hung out last week. Paul is teaching a local church to use this gift and prophecy right. Last week, we spent our whole time talking about prophecy, but today we're going to look at tongues. And never forget that Paul is dealing with a church that actually had the gift right, but was using it wrong. Remember, Paul is addressing the issue of how to speak in tongues in public worship, whether a gathering like this or a small group. And he's going to say to us again and again, it's about understanding, it's about intelligibility, and then he's going to say it's about love. So again, 1 Corinthians 14.1, he says these words, follow the way of love, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now, like I shared last week, notice where Paul starts. Paul does not start with spiritual gifts. Paul starts with love. And like I shared also, every wedding that you go to, 1 Corinthians 13 is read. But it needs to be read now. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love is not boastful. It's not rude. Paul understands that character matters more than spiritual gifts. And that we need as Christians to be praying that God, in a supernatural way, makes us loving people. What does Jesus say? The world will know us by our what? Wow, that was powerful. By our what? Our love. Paul says to us, start with your character. Because when your character is ever growing, when you start using no matter what gift God gives you, you will not delegitimize what God is doing through you by your own stuff. He says, desire the, way of the, desire the way of love and then desire the gifts of the Spirit. Verse 2, anyone who speaks in tongues does not speak to people, they speak to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. Now, verse 2 tells us four things about the gift of tongues. One, the tongues is a person speaking to God by the Holy Spirit and not to fellow Christians. Second, it's mysterious in the sense it lies outside of the understanding. Both the person who speaks in tongues will not know what they're saying, and if people around them hear it, they will not know what they're saying. Third of all, it edifies the speaker. The person who has the gift of tongues will actually be built up by this supernatural experience. But this is important right now. It's not about ego. It's not about being self-centered. But God gives this gift... And a person is built up through private praise, through thanksgiving, or even prayer. Fourthly, tongues can be, but does not need to be, in a known human language. Now, we're going to get to that in a moment, because 1 Corinthians 14 is pretty clear about this, and we'll walk through it. But let me just say that, again, when we walk through the issue of tongues, we need to listen to all of Scripture. When Paul made the call for us to start with love, his first word was this in 1 Corinthians 13.1. 1. 
If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but if I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. His point is, you can speak in tongues all you want. If you don't have character, you're just banging something and no one's listening or they're irritated. But notice that he says, if I speak in the tongues of people or angels, there's this idea of human languages or a heavenly language. I have bad news for you. Heaven probably is not going to be in the language you want. It's probably not going to be English or Cantonese or Arabic and maybe Hebrew, but probably not even that. We've got an idea that we have two types of language here spoken of, but there's something more going on here that we need to understand. One author wrote this about 1 Corinthians 14 that we're in right now. Some have objected, he said, that you have to speak in tongues, and if you do, it must be in a known human language since that's what happened in Acts 2. But the fact that speaking in tongues occurred only once in Scripture as a known language does not require it always happens with a known language, like English, Arabic, Swahili, whatever. Especially when we read the description in 1 Corinthians 14. It indicates the exact opposite. When Paul says that visitors to a local church will come in, he says that no one will understand what's being spoken. Verse 2 and verse 16. No one. Now I want you just to catch this. It says that when tongues is spoken in private or public, the person speaking it will not know what they're doing. People around them, both people in the church and outside the church, will also not understand the language that's being spoken. He writes, in fact, Paul explicitly says quite the opposite of the phenomena at Pentecost will happen in the ordinary conduct of a local church. He says in verse 23, if I speak in tongues and all outsiders, if we all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, they won't hear the message. They'll think we're all crazy. In other words, no one will understand what's being said. More, however, 1 Corinthians 14 is Paul's general instruction to this local church and all local churches. He writes that this is Paul's reflection after dealing with tongues in many different churches, whereas Acts 2 simply describes a unique event that happened at a key turning point in God's history. Acts 2 is a recollection of something narrative. 1 Corinthians 14 is doctrinal and it's instructional. This is what you must do when this happens. Therefore, it seems appropriate, he writes, to take 1 Corinthians 14 as the passage that most likely describes the ordinary experience of New Testament churches, and we should take Paul's instruction as a standard by which we would regulate tongues in our church. Verse 4 in 1 Corinthians 14. Anyone who speaks in tongues edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets. So the church may be built up. Again, this is about what's best for us in a public worship service. Yet we learn some other things about the gift of tongues. As I've mentioned, many people argue that all of us should have this gift or can ask for it. And they point right here. They say, well, John, Paul says, I wish every one of you could speak in tongues. And I would say to them back, yes, look at the language. I wish, I would like, not I will, or you will, or you must, or you can. His point here is about intelligibility. It is better for God's people that a prophecy is given or teaching takes place than corporate tongues because we can understand what's going on. And if you do speak in tongues in a small group or a public worship time, then it has to be interpreted, in this example, by another Christian. But don't forget, Paul is okay with tongues if they're interpreted, but he prefers teaching and prophecy. 
The concern is about unintelligibility, which leads to an environment that doesn't build anyone up. Verse 6, now brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what, will, what good will I be unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds like a pipe or a harp, who, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? Basically saying, in this case, everyone was speaking in tongues at once. So just imagine, Nikki's leading us in worship this morning, and all 800 or 600 of us, whatever we are, stand up and break out in tongues at once. And Paul's going, stop it. Again, he says in verse 8, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you, he says to the church. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there's all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker's a foreigner to me. So it's with you. So since you're eager for the gifts of the Spirit, everyone, try to excel in those that build up the church. Here's what Paul is saying to the church. He's not saying tongues is wrong. He's not saying it's fake. He's not even saying it's misused in the sense that it doesn't have meaning. It does. But it is not helpful in public. You will not build up people. You will not help anyone if you use your gift of tongues in public. You've actually misplaced it. By using tongues in public, you will alienate both Christians and seekers and those who want nothing to do with Jesus. Here's the question that Paul would pose to us this morning. What is more important to you as a Christian? Your gift experience or all of us? Let me say that again. What's more important? You or we? That's why he says, excel in the gifts that build up the whole community. And then he says in verse 13, For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may be interpreted what they say. Now, now notice this. He says, he gives an out. If you speak in tongues and it's interpreted, it's all good. Now, before he said another should interpret it, but here he also gives an option that you can interpret it. Here's the point. Some people with the gift of tongues will also have the gift of interpretation. So they can break out in tongues, and then the Lord tells them what they're saying, and then they can tell all of us what they were saying. Some of you are really uncomfortable right now. Good. Because it's not about your control, it's about God. Other people have the gift of tongues and won't have the gift of interpretation, and they're going to need someone else with a gift to work alongside with them if it's going to be done in public. Verse 14, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? Well, I'll pray with my spirit, also pray with my understanding. I'll sing with my spirit, I'll also sing with my understanding. So if this happens to you, you will know as a Christian that God is being praised or being thanked, or you're praying into a situation, but you will not fully know what's actually being said. And by the way, that's just okay. Again, this is about prayer, this is about praise, this is about thanksgiving. You will be moved, you will be changed, you will actually know you're in the presence of God. So he says, if you have the gift of tongues, good. Pray in tongues, break on out. But when you're with others, pray with a language that everyone knows around you. The point is, for those of us that have tongues, for us who have that gift, he's saying it's not an either-or thing, it's both and. Deepen where you are in your prayer life in both ways. And the same, interestingly, with singing. Some people with the gift of tongues will actually sing in tongues as worship. 
But when we gather together, let's use a language we all commonly hold together. In other words, Paul says, I will pray and praise in a known language, ready, for the sake of other people. Do you see the humility in this? Do you see the willingness to serve other people over self? Oh, how many churches need to learn this lesson. Verse 16, otherwise, he says, when you're praising God in the Spirit, how can someone else who's now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they have no clue what you're saying? You're giving thanks well enough. In other words, what you're doing is real and you're actually praising God, but no one else is built up. This is not saying that if someone broke out in tongues right now, please don't do that. If you were, I don't know if anyone has the gift of interpretation. That's all I'm saying. Someone did that, and it wasn't interpreted. It's not saying what's happening is fake. Paul says it needs to be interpreted. Now, does that message become a message for all of us? Not necessarily, because we're saying amen to what that person is praying into or thanking God for. Paul's point here is you could be breaking out in tongues and praising God, but in someone else interprets, we can't say amen with you. We have no clue what's going on. You supernaturally are being built up, but we're going, I don't know. Let's just go to Timmy's. What, what now? So this is really key for us because this tells us how to use this right. Now, verse 18 reads like this. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. I love that. So good. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regards to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults, be grown-ups. As it's written in the Old Testament, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign not for believers, but unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church gets together and everyone speaks in tongues, then seekers and non-believers come in. Will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if an unbeliever and an acquirer comes in and a prophecy is given, they'll be convicted of their sin. Here's what Paul is saying, and it's really scary, and I didn't catch it even last week, and I want to say this this morning. This is how someone articulated this rebuke. Because tongues are unintelligible, genuine but unintelligible, unbelievers who gather with us receive no revelation from God at all, so they cannot be brought to Jesus. Listen, thus the response to them seeing the real work of God is not them praising God, but actually saying, you're all crazy. And they're destined for divine judgment, just like the Old Testament passage Paul quotes. But this, of course, is not God's intent for such people. Paul's urgency to this church and our church is simple. Stop thinking like children. Stop the public use of tongues en masse, since it will actually drive unbelievers away rather than lead them to Jesus. Who wants to have the conversation with the risen Lord on Judgment Day? Who wants to go before Jesus and say, but I thought my tongue experience was more important. He's, he's going to actually say to communities and people, do you realize that though that gift was from me and though it was a given beautiful thing, because of your immaturity, you drove people away from my salvation? Whoa. See, Paul's point here is people 
when they join us who don't know, they are not going to be impressed if we broke it in tongues because they will not understand the Spirit of God as among us because they don't share the Spirit of God yet with us. But if a prophecy is given situationally where their heart is revealed or through teaching they're instructed, then they will come to faith. He is not saying tongues is wrong. He's saying put it in its place. Why? Because you could actually alienate the very people that he's trying to reach and that you've already been reached by. This is such beautiful insight. And then Paul says, so everyone, verse 27, if anyone speaks in tongues in public, two or three at most should speak one at a time, and then you need to interpret. So here's what we learn. First, the goal here is to say tongues may not dominate a worship service. Second, it should be done one at a time, and this shows control. Because in their history, they used to all speak in tongues, by the way, in their pagan gatherings, and it wasn't the same. Third, someone needs to interpret. Here's the third call for interpretation. Verse 28, if there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in church and speak to himself and to God. So, here's what Paul says. If you speak in tongues and don't have the gift of interpretation, or someone else does not have the gift, just don't speak in tongues out loud. And if you do, just wait. So, here's the point. If you break out in tongues and it's sincere, it's not a show, and suddenly no one interprets, just stop. So I'm going to give you a very public example. Five weeks ago, young adult service, some people were praying, it was a crowd at the front, it was a very beautiful thing, it was nine weeks ago, someone broke out in tongues. Now, did I call the ushers, remove him, remove him? No. Go, go, go. <laughs> you know. No. So they broke out in tongues. See, <laughs> yeah, you're laughing, but you know, 10 years ago, we may have done that here. So he broke out in tongues, and I waited. I didn't freak out. I didn't panic. I just waited. After about 40 seconds, I I just waited. Is anyone interpreting? I said, is anyone? I said, could you please stop? And he did. Perfect. Field goal. It's fine. Because that's Paul's point. And then I just said, well, go privately and speak in tongues. So here's the thing. If you have that, then go to your home and break out in tongues. If you're breaking out in tongues during worship, don't break out... Cover your mouth. The point is, do not do it in a public way so we're all hearing it because it doesn't help us. And after a service, if you feel so compelled to do it, it's a big auditorium. Go to the back. Break on out. If we're not going to hear you, it's fine. If there's an usher, just smile at them and keep on going. You know, like, it's, it's fine. But Paul's point here is, don't use your gift to violate what God's trying to do. Here's the summary of tongues in a real quick way. Tongues can be a known or unknown language. It can be English, Arabic, or something heavenly. It's not given to all Christians, but to some. It can be used evangelistically. Tongues can be used actually to authenticate new people joining our movement. Tongues can be used for the edification of small groups or a worship gathering if it's interpreted. Tongues can be used to worship God by singing in tongues or praying for others to to be thankful, to give inner assurance of communion with God. It actually, if you have the gifts, can affirm God's actual presence in your life. This gift, I've talked to people who have it, brings real joy, allows them to cry out to God over others when words don't come. You can deeply be changed and moved by this beautiful gift. The other thing you need to say is if you have the gift of interpretation, and many of you may or may not have it, that when tongues are spoken in or around you, God will begin to download what they're saying, whether in a human or... And it's not saying, like, like I grew up in Ecuador, so this isn't saying if someone broke out in tongues in Spanish... And because I know Spanish, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm interpreting. No, please, I grew up in Ecuador. It, it, it's, di- it's different than that. B- but the point is that if people among us have the gift of tongues, 
you actually have to start using them in right ways to see if people around you have the gift of interpretation. So the best place to start using tongues in public in a safe way under the guidelines of Scripture is not here, but in small groups. Some of you are going, oh my goodness, are you serious? Yes. Because if you just say, I'd like to do this and see if anyone has interpretation, if they don't shut it down, that's a good way to do this in a balanced, safe way. Some of you are like, oh my goodness. Well, welcome to Scripture. So that's tongues, and that's interpretation of tongues. Now I'm going to end my message with one other gift. It's the gift of intercession. Now intercession is not found in the formal lists of Scripture. There's probably five gifts inferred in Scripture that are not found in the list, but they're throughout church history, and they're definitely talked about in Scripture in different ways. Now intercession simply is when we move our prayer life from ourself to others. Richard Foster in his book Prayer brilliantly says these things about intercession. When we move from petition to intercession, we shift our center of gravity from our own needs to others. He says it's one of the best priestly ministries and one of the most challenging New Testament teachings for all of us. We We get the honor, he says, to go before God and pray for others. Now, we all get to intercede, but some people among us actually have a supernatural gift of prayer. Now, many of you here today and online actually have this gift, and you have no clue. But I am expectant to see them. Uh, many of you come out in the next few weeks on this. Let me say, when I hang out with prayer people, and they don't know they are, I'll just ask them, oh, they'll start talking about their prayer life. And they'll say things like this, wow, you know, um, you know, I pray all the time. I'll go, oh, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, I just, I end up praying, you know, like every 20 minutes. Or I'll say, do you have formal times? Yeah, you know, I pray a half an hour to four hours a day, and I'm just like, I'm sorry, and they're like, why are you shocked? Like, all Christians do that, right? Uh, No. So you begin to talk to intercessors, and what's funny about them is they're praying all day long, and they think we all do that too. And so when you begin to talk to them, they begin to realize that though we all pray, this probably is a gifting. Now, one person worked out this expression of this gift in four different ways. I'll do this quick, and then we'll be done. Intercessors sort of function in different ways. One of them, he says, is, is general intercession. You are people that love long times of prayer, and you love prayer lists and guides, bulletins, the prayer wall. Like, you're all about the information. You find great joy in praying through lists. You are like phone brook prayer people, and you love it. Crisis intercessors are the total opposite. They're all about promptings. They sense that God is asking them to pray into situations or people, and God sort of tells them. This is how one person described it. Once God tells them to pray through a situation, they'll hang on to it like a pit bull until it's resolved or until God releases them from the assignment. Uh, It's like labor. The baby's coming, they pray it out, and then they're fine and go back to making whatever they're doing, right? So that's how they would describe their prayer experiences. The third style is a personal intercessor. He writes, some intercessors receive a special calling from God to pray on a regular and intense basis for one specific person or persons, and usually it's connected to pastors or other Christian leaders. Now, I have one of these people in my life. Thirteen years ago, a woman in our church had a conversation with Jesus, and Jesus said to her one thing, you have one primary assignment here in this church, and his name is John Thompson. Now, we've met a lot, so I made sure I wasn't crazy and she wasn't crazy and there was nothing weird about that. And what's amazing is for 13 years, every day, she's prayed for me. I meet with her once a week for a half an hour to an hour. And every time I meet with her, I'm going to say, well, I'm facing this issue down. She's like, yeah, yeah, I know. I've already prayed about this, this, and this. Oh, God, sorry. Uh, so, so profound. But her assignment is me, which is a wonderful gift. I didn't ask. God assigned her. 
The last type of intercessor are people that focus on spiritual conflict. They feel deeply burdened about God praying things through so people can find spiritual freedom from darkness or even neighborhoods finding freedom from darkness. Now, the funny thing about this is all of these intercessors are all gifted and they don't get along with each other. See, list prayer people do list prayer meetings and they just love it. And then the the crisis person comes in and they're like, oh, I'm so bored, I'm so bored. You know, lists, phone books, what is God telling me to pray? And they're like, why are you interrupting us? I'm going through my list. And he's like, no, we have to pray for this person. No, we're praying for the elders right now. And then the personal intercessor says, no, we just need to pray for this one person. And then someone else, let's cast out all the demons from Durham. And then they don't, none of them talk. <laughs> right? And so, so what's interesting is we've discovered that, uh, and we've done this, and Beth, that's one reason why Beth is on staff. What we've discovered is if we can start getting those with the gift of intercession gathering together in their own particular styles under a gifting, it becomes profound. So you got crisis people breaking down all the time. you got the general people covering everything. Well, other things are getting cast out over here. And then some of us are specifically being prayed for. It's a powerful way. And we see this intercession gift in Jesus' life. We see this in Samuel's life. We see this in Hannah's life. And it's a profound thing. So here's how we're going to end like we're doing every week. Nikki, you can come back. And we're going to do this. My question to you this morning and to you online is this. Do you have the gift of tongues? Do you have the gift of interpretation? Did you just realize that you're an intercessor but never would have used that language? You just thought you were a prayer person. Well, if this is you, here's what we're going to do. Elders and pastors, you can come forward now. And as we've been doing every single week, we would like you to come forward, identify yourself, and say, I believe I have this gift. And we're going to pray, A, that you have character. Be that you have the space to use the gift right and that God would affirm it. Here's a few other things I need to say. Some of you are still bitter because you didn't get the gifts you wanted. And you still need to come forward and pray with the leadership and ask forgiveness and submit to the Lordship of Jesus. Others of you who have tongues or intercession have now realized you have misused your gift terribly. And you need to come forward and publicly confess to a leader that for your own self, out of you've done it knowingly or not, you have sinned by misusing the gift, and you just need to say, Lord, forgive me, I want healing from that. Others of you, while I've been speaking, are getting scared because you actually sense the Lord may want to give you the gift of tongues, and you don't want it. I find interesting these days in our church that those that Jesus is giving the gift of tongues to are those who come from environments where it was radically misused, and he wants to give it to them authentically, or people are highly controlling because God actually wants to teach them about intimacy. So if you want the gift of tongues, you're welcome to ask. He may say yes or no. If you think he's giving you the gift of tongues, you can come forward. If he's giving you the gift of intercession, you can come forward. But the point is, we need to make this an open space of response and prayer. Last thing, for you who have the gift of tongues, some of you are now wondering if it's real. You're saying, maybe I invented it at a camp, or maybe it's not even from our side. So if you feel that you may be off, come to an elder or pastor and say, I have the gift, I'm not sure if it's real, and I'm willing to give it over to Jesus, and we'll see what he does with it. Everyone okay with that? So that's how we're going to respond. So let me pray for our online audience, for us. Nikki, you can start leading us, and we'll see what the Lord does in the next few minutes. So Jesus, thanks for this moment and this time. It's a lot of information, Lord, and a quick sermon. But our prayer is simply that your will would be done. And as we legitimize all the gifts, we're praying for love. We pray that we would be people of love and character first. That's what matters. And we pray that this would be worked out. We pray that we'd be patient and kind. We pray that we would move in ways of love. We pray that at this moment, we pray very deeply about this. Lord, 
help us to be patient and kind, not envy, not boast, not be proud. Help us not to be rude, not self-seeking, not easily angered, keeping no record of wrongs. Help us not to delight in evil, but rejoice in the truth. Help us to protect, trust, hope, and persevere. So we pray for that. We pray for those watching online that have the gift of tongues or interpretation or intercession that you deal with them so they have character first and they use these gifts right. And we pray that as we pray over people, things that are not of you would be burned away, things of you would be affirmed. And we just pray in Jesus' name right now that your will would be done. And all of God's people said, amen. So why don't we stand and we'll see what God does in the next few minutes. Thanks for being with us today. If you want to know more about our church or give financially, go to our website at www.carotherscreek.ca.